Well, this morning we continue in our series, Christ Before Christmas, and we come to a passage that most likely is not very familiar to you, but has loads to say about Jesus. I begin with a quote from a book perhaps you read in high school or maybe college. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. Charles Dickens' work, A Tale of Two Cities, talking about two cities during the French Revolution, the city of Paris and the city of London, and their different perspectives on what was happening in the world at that time. And Dickens' point in this book is that one event has two very different responses. And this is how our lives are. At times, it seems to be the best of times, and at times, it seems to be the worst of times all at once, doesn't it? I remember sitting in my apartment in Columbia, South Carolina, and in some ways, it was the best of times. I had a great job there at the university I was getting my master's degree. I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go, and I was killing it academically. It was the best of times, but it was also the worst of times. I was miserable. Inside, I was empty. I knew of nothing that could fill it. No relationship, no grade in school seemed to be sufficient. Nothing could fill it. No future dreams. They were big, but it couldn't fill this emptiness that was in me. I was an empty man. And into that emptiness, into the best of times, and into the worst of times, God spoke. He, he stepped in. And this morning, that's what we discover here in the book of Numbers. Uh, It is a dismal time in Israel's history. If you read the book of Numbers, this is the third round of awful sin. The third time that they have sinned horribly, and the question is, God, what will you do now? Will you speak or will you give up? Will you step in or will you step out? And we discover in this best of times and worst of times two attributes of God that are undeniably true all the time, all day, every day. God will have his say and God will have his way. God will have his say. God speaks, 
and God will have his way, God acts. He does both. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Who is Balaam? Balaam was a pagan prophet. He was a diviner, a seer. He was not a follower of Judaism. Numbers 22, 23, and 24 have been called the book of Balaam. They occur at the conclusion of this third cycle of awful sin Moses is conspicuously absent. What had happened to Israel? Well, they had come out of Egypt, which was celebrated and amazing and miraculous. They had gone to Mount Sinai. God had shown up and given the Ten Commandments. They had woven their way north, and they found themselves with the report in front of them uh, from 12 spies who went into the promised land, God's promised place for his people. Ten said we can't, two said we can. They believed the ten, they denied the, the voice of God and the promise of God, and everybody over the age of 20 died except for Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. If you look at who's still around prior to this, Miriam and Aaron have died. That's Moses' brother and sister. If there is a royal Israel family, it would be them in that day. They're gone. Moses alone survives, and... uh, then he does this act. God says, speak to the rock. And Moses, in his impatience, strikes it. God looks even at him and says, you won't go into the promised land. So there's a promised land to be had. And only Joshua and Caleb and everybody under 20 will see it. It's a dark day. Moses is mute Joshua and Caleb aren't speaking, who'll talk? Who's going to say the words of God? Will there be a voice in the darkness? Will there be words now? The answer is shocking. Balaam, this pagan sorcerer from Mesopotamia, that we would expect to rebel against God speaks. Balaam is a rebellious instrument of God. That's who he is. He is a rebellious instrument of God. What did a diviner do in Balaam's day? He read omens and tried to predict the future. 
will God have his say? Luke 19, Jesus is riding on a donkey and they spread their cloaks on the road and as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like his birth declaration now proclaimed in the middle of or toward the end of his earthly life. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very what? The stones would cry out. God will have his say. He will speak. He will be worshipped. John Piper says missions exist because worship does not. The purpose of missions is to go to places where people do not worship the one true God and there proclaim him so that when you leave, they're worshiping him. He's receiving the glory that he deserves. This is why we're beginning today something similar that we did for the 20th anniversary service, calling it Make Room for One More. On Sunday, December 22nd, three weeks from today, we'll have four services that day. We have two now. We'll have four, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 4 p.m., and 6 p.m. Why would we do that to ourselves why would we do that to the parking crew and the greeting crew and, and, and the preschool and the people on the stage? And why would we do that? Because we are convinced that God will have his say. And we just so hope he does it here. Amen? We so hope that this Christmas season, somebody in your world who doesn't know Christ will come and hear the gospel and hear the message and their lives be changed for good. I ask what kind of impact could God have through your voice? Here's a Here's a story of how God did just that. Check out the screen. And so God used Callie's invitation with not only Barb and Mitch, but so many others, just a ripple effect. And I heard you guys laugh when she said, I've invited people to grace, and they say, I already go there. And I know, know that will happen. I, I remember years ago, Wendy was working in, the cafeteria at Old Fort Elementary, and uh, she went into work on a Monday morning, and this uh, woman came in as a sub that day uh, to work, and the woman began to talk, and she said to Wendy, oh my goodness, 
I loved the sermon yesterday in church. And Wendy said, you did, good. And the woman said, I don't know where you go to church, but you should come to my church. And so uh, Wendy said, well, I I do go to church. And the woman said, where do you go? And Wendy said, to Grace Community. And the woman said, well, that's where I go. And Wendy said, well, uh, that guy, Jerry, is my husband. Um, And the woman was blown away. Um, Don't be afraid to ask. Um, God will speak in different ways that may catch you by surprise. Um, As a matter of fact, the hero of Numbers 24 isn't Balaam. Look at this. It's God. And I don't know if you noticed, I didn't the first time I read it through. There are three different names for him here in verses 15 and 16. You've got Balaam and Baor introduced, but look, the oracle, which just means message of him who hears the words of God, that's the first name, and knows the knowledge of the Most High, that's the second, who sees the vision of the Almighty, that's the third. Look at these three names. Let me unpack those for you for a moment. Uh, God, El, E-L in Hebrew, means mighty, strong, or prominent. Or uh, uh, Balaam says, I got a message from this God, a mighty God. This is the name connected with God in creation. It shows up in Genesis 1 and 2 again and again. The next name, El Elyon, God Most High, means the God who is above all gods. Balaam does not worship this God, but this God shows up to him as the God above his gods. The third name, El Shaddai, God Almighty, the one mighty to nourish, satisfy, and supply. God is the hero here. If you put all of these together, it means he is able. The Israelite's sin has not tripped him up. Their third round in awfulness has not unseated him from his throne. You would put all this together and say that God is saying, I made you. I'm above you, I'm for you. I made you, I'm above you, I'm for you. God will have his say. Secondly, God will have his way. So here is Balaam, a pagan, unbelieving sorcerer, diviner that God taps in the silence to speak for him. And here's what God gives him. Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth, 
Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. I see him, but not now. I I behold him, but not near. Balaam here utters one of the most profound predictions of Jesus in the Old Testament. He sees someone, but they aren't coming right away. He beholds somebody, but they're not near. Don't lose sight of this. Aaron is dead. Miriam is dead. Moses can't go into the promised land. The children of Israel need a voice, and so God raises up this pagan prophet to speak. How does he describe who he sees and who he beholds? He will be a star and a scepter. Let's look at those words because when Jesus comes the first time, he doesn't come either as a star or as a scepter. Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16, I, Jesus, Jesus is talking, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. When Jesus was born, his birth was declared in the heavens by the appearance of a what? A star over Bethlehem. So, So what Balaam sees is spot on. The word has come to be used today to refer to anybody in any profession as the ultimate, hasn't it? LeBron James is a basketball star. A certain musician is a star. In Hollywood, people have their stars. It is the ultimate description. Jesus is the ultimate star. But he is also the scepter. Now, a a scepter was something used by a king. It was a pole made of wood or metal that a king would wield when someone came into his presence. You may recall the story of Esther. She is afraid to go into her husband, the king, because if he doesn't extend his scepter off with her head. It's a really good marriage. And so that's what he's, she's afraid of. That was the point of the scepter. It was the symbol of power. Balaam does not see someone with a scepter. He sees someone who is a scepter. That's different. Jesus is described as a scepter. All right, so we got to know a little history. Who are Moab and Edom? They're arch enemies of Israel. They're the worst. They're, they're, they're Israel's worst enemies, and this is who that this scepter is going to take out. If you remember last week, the predictions of Jesus in the Old Testament don't stop at Christmas. They go all the way forward. They look forward to a day when Jesus ultimately wins, when sin is ultimately defeated, when Satan is ultimately destroyed, 
Jesus will destroy the survivor of cities. This is complete annihilation. If God is so committed to having his say and having his way that he will speak through a rebellious prophet to declare great news in a dark time, I would ask you, how is he speaking to you? Couple questions. Couple questions. Are you quiet enough to hear his voice? Are you quiet enough to hear his voice? Are you still enough? Meaning, not so busy that should he speak, you would sit still long enough to listen. We've just finished a whole series on the spiritual disciplines, and now we're into the Christmas season. And this season can be sadly characterized by one word, busy. Busy. Places to go and people to see and food to eat and gifts to buy. Busy. God will have his say, but he will also have his way. He speaks and he acts. It's not always the thunderous voice. Nobody expected it to be Balaam. Twenty-eight years ago, in grad school, how God spoke to me was very similar to what Barb has shared. A friend I went to to Wofford with was also down at University of South Carolina and happened to live in my apartment complex. We discovered that. She came by one day and said, I have found a great church. You should come with me. I, I said, well, why? She said, there's so many singles there. It's, it's a dynamic church. I, I was so lost, though. I knew the Lord. I, I came to Christ when I was 15. I'm 23 at the time, but I was so lost, so distant from him. I remember saying to her, I, I'm, I'm in Columbia for one thing, that's to get a degree. Not to meet somebody, not to date, not to marry. I'm here to study. And she said, that's not what it's about. You, you should come. And so I remember walking in the doors of this church to the last service of the day. It was hard to get into. There were people waiting. I had to park a long ways down the street and walk to get in. Old brick building, columns out front, a traditional Baptist church, you might imagine, with lots of steps going up, going in, and I found a seat there. I didn't see her. I didn't go with her. I, I didn't know anyone in the building. And I sat down as far as I knew, unknown. 
And Walter Gilliam got up to preach. Of course, I didn't know who he was. He wasn't the senior or lead pastor. He was the minister of education. And he got up to preach that morning. And I sat there. I sung some songs and and uh, uh, pretty traditional worship service. They had a full choir, big orchestra. Uh, I just sat there and, and uh, he began to preach. And it was one of those times perhaps you've had where I thought that the place emptied of everybody but me. And how did he know what I was thinking and what I was going through? And I walked out of that place and got in my car and headed back to my apartment to eat a bite, pour his dirt, study, study. Uh, do what I did, and uh, no internet, I'm old, uh, so no internet to look up, looked on the bulletin and discovered they had worshiped that night, and I remember killing it that afternoon on my schoolwork, thinking, I've got to get back there. There's got to be more than what I'm experiencing. And that night, 6 p.m., I found myself uh, back there, Walked in, sat behind this old couple. They were the classiest, dressed old people I'd ever seen in my life. He wearing his nice wool suit with a vest or a jacket with a vest underneath. She dressed so classy. I stood up to sing songs again that night. And that old man, having no clue who was standing behind him, turned around to me, never met me in his life after we had sung, grabbed my cheeks and just did like this and said, boy, you can sing. <laughs> I stood there and said, when I'm old, I want to be like him. I did. I meant it. God was speaking. He was speaking. The girl who invited me, the old man, his wife sitting in front of me, he, he was speaking. The next morning, I, I get up and pull out a Bible I had seldom opened and a notebook, and I began to read Genesis. And oh my, the word came alive for the first time in my life. God was speaking. He will have his say. He will have his way. You, you sit here this morning, some of you desperately need to hear his voice. I hope you are. And some of you desperately need to be his voice. I hope you will. I hope you will. Yeah, I was a Christian. Yeah, God had saved me when I was 15. But I so needed to hear that day what God had to say. And in days since. Does he? Does he still speak today? Yeah. 
he, he surely does. So you say, what do I do now? Make room for one more. I mean that. I jokingly walked up to Sue Gibbs, who's sitting four rows back at the beginning of the service, and said, are these all your disciples? And she said, the wandering children have come home. But truth is, the two sitting to the right of her are here because of Sue. They're here because of Sue. God will have his way, and he will have his say. I've heard this many times, never said it, but here goes. I don't want no rock to cry out for me. Amen? I don't. I don't. So what do you do? Give you a practical thing like we did before. So I, I'll do this. My, my phone alarm is still set to pray for my one at 1212. We're going to ask you to change that if yours is or if not. Set your phone every day or whatever device you use for 1222 because that's the date of our four services. And set it to pray for the one that you want to make room for. Do that. Secondly, this is not on the screen or in the notes, but this has been profound for me lately. In J.D. Greer's book, Gospel, he gives four prayers, uh, or yeah, they're prayers, or statements, I guess. One of them is, when I pray, I will measure your compassion by the crucifixion and your power by the resurrection. In case the devil tells you that God doesn't care or that God can't, that's what that statement is for. I will measure your compassion by the crucifixion and your power by the resurrection. I summarize that to say God cares and he can. He cares and he can. Difficult people make us wonder if God can. But he cares and he can. And then we have so many of these. There's one on your seat. This is yours. An invite for someone. Choose which service you'll attend that day. These are our annual candlelight services. They're remarkable times of worship. The gospel clearly presented, music beautifully done, and guests warmly welcomed. Choose which one and then invite, invite your one or more. But I want you to picture your table at dinner and somebody hungry. Well, you just... Slide up a chair, wouldn't you? That's just what you do. Let, let me pray. Lord, 
In order to announce, Jesus, your coming as the star and the scepter, you chose Balaam, and he came speaking, hearing from God Almighty, God Most High, God who created everything we see out of nothing. Thank you. Lord, thank you for those ways you've spoken to us. Thank you for my invite to worship, for Walter Gilliam's willingness to preach. Thank you for that old couple who modeled faithful living and worship, who I'm sure now with you. Thank you. Oh, God. Continue to speak to us all, and may we be quiet and still enough to hear. Would you keep your heads bowed for just a moment? If you came in this place this morning, for whatever reason, in that place of need, And by being here, God has spoken to you. I'm not going to ask you to come down here unless you want to after the service is over. But God has spoken to you this morning, and you're leaving with comfort or conviction or courage, and you're grateful for that. Would you just slip up your hand? Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. God, thank you for speaking today, December 1, 2020, at 5182 through flawed, broken, Saved by grace, people. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.